Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Well, these are amazing days. And um, last year, uh, just before the election, I said, no matter who you vote for, we're headed into a storm. And, uh, but storms are not unusual in Scripture. In fact, sometimes we get into a storm because we refuse to heed the warnings of people who tell us about the storm that's coming. And you know, the Apostle Paul said, I perceive that we are headed into a rough time. And uh, he said, maybe we should stay here. And they said, nah, he knows better than you know. So Paul said, okay. And at the end of the day, the guy who went onto the ship as a prisoner became the leader of the ship in the storm. So one of the challenges that I think the church really needs to recognize is that sometimes God will give you an opportunity to lead if you are willing to say, I know the way to the other side. And I've heard from God. And I thank you uh, for hearing from God, Prophet Campbell. And then, of course, uh, uh, Prophet David and Prophet Nicole and pastors, prophets, evangelists. They, I mean, they're, they're five tool people. It's, it's, I just love being around them. And we've been doing this for, let's see, when did we start uh, with Tommy? 23 years ago, 23. So <clears throat> we've been, we've been trying this for some time and, and, uh, and as the song says, it keeps on getting better. You have wonderful pastors, and uh, and I get to meet a lot of pastors, and I've discovered that all pastors aren't wonderful. But you have wonderful pastors, and you should celebrate them as much as you can. Bless them as much as you can. We love them. Their hospitality is exquisite, and I told someone, I said, People who travel a lot know how to pe- treat people who travel a lot. And so your guys treat us wonderful. Thank you so much for the hotel and for all of the provisions and the popcorn. Thank you, the popcorn. That's very important, popcorn. Uh, I was invited to come because we wanted to dedicate this wonderful building that God has prepared for you. And, um, and just say to someone... There is more to come. There's more to come. So what I want to do is, before I, I do the message messages, because there are several, um, I want to. Uh, <laughs> there really are. I mean, uh, you're laughing, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, there are a couple of things we have to say that are very important to us. But I want I want to read a passage from. Uh, from Solomon's prayer where he dedicates the temple, and then I'm going to invite you to participate in dedicating this facility. There's a lot that's going to happen, and I, I would say to you, in terms of worship and prayer and ministry and weeping and seeking God and fasting and praying, a lot has already gone ahead in terms of dedicating. And so this is simply a formalization of what you've already done. I'll read the prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to stand, 
and I'll read a phrase, and then when I pause, you have this really difficult part in which you say, we dedicate this house. Let me hear you say that. Let's rehearse your part. With with vigor and you know just kind of like no we dedicate this just like a couple of people clap when it was offering time you know but this everybody has to participate you say what if I'm not a member of this church you can still help dedicate the house all right so uh, we're gonna do that Father I just thank you for this moment that you've entrusted to dwell church to those who are part of this family to those who visit those who are committed visitors. We just thank you today for your love for this house and for what takes place here. And we ask your blessing upon all that we do today and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Will you stand? Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you, who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand. That's a phrase I want to repeat. You have spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand. What God has said with his mouth, he has fulfilled with his hand. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David. My, not my father, but your servant David, my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built? Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. I'm going to make my statement, and then you're going to respond with, we dedicate this house. As a sanctuary where we will glorify God the Father, exalt the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. We house. As a sanctuary where we will honor the Bible as the Word of God, and faithfully teach and preach the truths of Scripture with passion, imagination, integrity, and consistency. As a sanctuary wholly committed to a corporate expression of glorious praise and extravagant worship. As a sanctuary of effectual fervent intercession and as a house of prayer for all nations. As a sanctuary where we will model the great commandment by loving God and one another. 
as a sanctuary from which we will go and obey the mandate of the Great Commission by discipling the nations. As a sanctuary where we will initiate, cultivate, nurture, and support strong covenantal relationships. As a sanctuary where we will regularly recognize, affirm, and celebrate the infinite worth and uniqueness of every person. As a sanctuary for the healing of the broken in spirit and body. As a sanctuary dedicated to the recovery of the arts, sciences, music, and drama. As a sanctuary totally committed to spreading the message of good news of the kingdom of God throughout the world by every means possible. As a sanctuary in which we will hunger and thirst for an ever-increasing measure of the presence of the Lord. As a sanctuary from which we will earnestly long for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Just celebrate that moment. Would you do that? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. We bless you, God. Let it be so, God. Let it be so. Let it be so. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. At the close of the service, we are going to have uh, another kind of celebration, and, and we call it the covenant, the salt covenant. And um, each of you will be given a pack of salt, a little pack of salt, and uh, it's been labored over with great love. Your pastor did it last night. And uh, we, will, we will do a circumference around this part of, of the, this building. And uh, we'll have someone that leads us, and ushers will have some information for you, but we'll give you the salt after the service because we didn't want to throw it all over the place. You know, how you guys, I wonder why I wonder if it's open in any So we'll just, but I want to share, I want to share several passages of scripture just to give you uh, some kind of a background as to how and why we're even doing this. And so look with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter six. The Lord admonished Joshua and the children of Israel as he came into the promised land that the first city was his. In, in other words, Joshua declared that Jericho was the first fruit of the conquest and the first fruit is always God's. And so he makes this statement after Rahab and her family are rescued from that debacle. Here's what he says. And it says, on that verse 20, I guess it's 26. Um, Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, curse before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up his gates 
So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Curse before God be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city of Jericho. The, at the cost of his firstborn, he will lay the foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son, he shall set at the gates. In other words, whoever dares to rebuild this is going to pay a heavy price. Your firstborn is going to be taken when you lay the foundation. And if and when you finish it, when you hang the gates that says this is a done deal, you're going to lose your youngest son. The point is this, in, in all probability, he probably lost all of his kids between the time that it was happening from this to this. So he's cursing Jericho. Would you say that, please? Say it again. He's cursing. Now go with me, please, to Second Kings. I'm sorry, First Kings. There's always two of them in there. Old Testament there. Chapter 16, chapter 16. Ahab is now the king of Israel. And um, verse 33, Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. That's the atmosphere. The atmosphere of idolatry and wickedness. In fact, the Bible says, of all the kings of Israel, there was none who had sold himself to do evil like Ahab. I mean, he was the high water mark. So when God says there you know, ain't nobody like him who is as bad as he is. And when a king has that atmosphere, when he creates that atmosphere, then something is unleashed that permits or gives people the courage to do stupid things, even though it's contrary to them. And so the history of Jericho can go something like this. About, about 500 years before this moment, that's when Joshua said, curse be the person who does this. Now, here's the person who's going to do it. Look at it. In his days, in Ahab's days, in Ahab's days, it's important for us to understand when a wicked person is in charge, all kinds of people have the, the freedom, they think, to do whatever they want to do, no matter what God's word says. So here's this curse. It's lasted for 400 years. And uh, you'll see, in fact, let me just tell you that there comes a moment when they look at Jericho and they say, the situation of the city is beautiful. And, well, let me just read it for you. Go with me to this passage. I'm, we're right here. I want to finish this. In his days, in Ahab's days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to, you all see that? According to what? 
the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now imagine, 400 years, nobody's building. It's kind of like um, you, you pass by that and just say, hey, that's a good-looking piece of land. Yeah, but it's got a bad word on it. You don't want to. You don't want to do that. Don't don't build there. That's don't put up a commune. Nothing. And so for four hundred years, nobody bothers with it. And then one day, in the reign of Ahab, in a reign of wickedness, someone is empowered to do something absolutely stupid, and pay a high price for it. Now that curse is fulfilled. While the curse is fulfilled, there's still something that's going on with the land. And I want you to see this as we go to. Second Kings chapter one or two. One of these will be the person that we're looking for. Y'all there? Verse 19. 2.19. Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad. And the land is unfruitful. Even though the curse has been fulfilled in terms of the death, there is still the impact on the soil, on the land, all around it, that creates a problem. They built the city. But I don't know if you ever heard that community uh, right outside of Niagara Falls where there were so many chemicals that were put in the earth and uh, people had built homes and folks who were living in those homes were having abortions and babies, all kinds of crazy stuff, cancer, they were dying from all, because there was something in the soil, and they had to condemn the whole thing and move people out of that. Still, something's in that soil. And so they say to Elisha, the situation, and I love this passage, he says, um, the men of the city said to Elisha, behold, the situation of this city is pleasant. Everybody say that. The situation... Let's just, the situation of our property here is pleasant. It can look good, but it can have a problem. And we see that in a number of places, if you've been involved with ministry to uh, First Peoples, that many, many of them, their lands have certain kinds of restriction on them. And people who seek to build on a place that belonged to someone else, that was owned by someone else. When they try to do that, they encounter resistance that's spiritual and not just physical. And so he says, the water is bad. The water is bad and the land is unfruitful. The water is bad and the land is unfruitful. In other words, it causes barrenness. It causes abortions. It causes broken things to take place. And so they said... What can we do about it? And so here's what Elisha said. He said, he, he, he said, bring me, I'm at verse 20 now, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. And so they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water, threw the salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from now in neither death nor miscarriage. Neither death nor miscarriage. Say that, please. Shall come from it. So the word, so the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke. 
Remember, it was cursed because of the word that Joshua spoke. Now it's healed because of the word that Elisha spoke. And here's what you to get. Covenants break curses. Covenants break curses. I'm not, I'm not trying to cast any kind of an aspersion on this property, but there's so many places where people have gone in and it looked great. They wanted to build a church. They built a church, but they struggled the whole time that they were there because they had no idea that they were resting on a property that had been cursed or had been violated because someone had violated a covenant that was there. And it takes another kind of covenant to override that. And so we're going to take the salt because we don't know what happened here before y'all came. What we want is what's going to happen now that we're here and how can we ascertain and how can we assure ourselves that this is going to be an effective thing for us. So you're going to take the salt and we're going to walk around this building and we're just going to put a salt trail around this place and we're going to denounce and renounce any kind of word, curse, any kind of thing that's been effective in the past so that this house can flourish like never before. And this will not be the last church to be here because somebody failed. We're going to take care of business today. So look at somebody say, we're taking care of business today. All right. That's message number one. <laughs> and I've got a whole teaching on it that, that shares. We, we have a church. Where's uh, my children here? Here you guys are. These are my kids. Would you all stand? I, I just love them to death. This, well, not quite to death, but I just really did them. Come on, the judge. Love them. Thank you so much. And um, whenever we come here, if uh, David's busy, they'll take care of me. And uh, even if he's not busy, they'll take care of me. And it's great to, great to hang out with them. It's, a, it's great to be here with you. And I, just, I feel so excited about where you are headed and what's getting ready to take place. Since you're already in Second um, Kings, would you just go with me to one other place? It's chapter 3. In chapter 3, say message number 2. All right. In, in, chapter, in chapter 3, there is this alliance that Jehoshaphat, the good king, is having with uh, Jehoram, who is the wicked king, who is the son of Ahab. And they get together, and so Jehoram says, will you come and fight with me? And, and Jehoshaphat says, my people are your people, and my army is yours. And so they get in difficulty because it's an unequal yoke. And they, they get into trouble, and they find out that they are now going to starve because they have, they're lost. And so Jehoshaphat suggests that they find some prophet who has the word of the Lord. And look at verse 11. Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire the Lord? Then one of the king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. Say it, the word of the Lord is with him. Now I want you to notice the confession that Jehoram had is in verse 10. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the, into the hand of Moab. 
And Jehoshaphat said, I need another prophet. I, I need somebody who can hear from God. And so they go down to Elisha, verse, 12, verse 13. Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your fathers and to the prophets of your mothers. But the king of Israel said to him, no, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of the Lord. And Elisha said, and I love this, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel, I would neither look at you nor see you. Sometimes you get favor because somebody else has favor. And he says, I wouldn't even talk. If he, if he wasn't here, you couldn't get a word out of me. And I'm not in a good mood anyway. So bring me a minstrel. And the miracle is that they knew where there was a minstrel. When the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water so that you shall drink and your livestock and your animals. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will give also the Moabites into your hand, and you shall attack every fortified city. Yeah. You shall attack every fortified city in every, every choice place. So here's, here's, here's what he says. I need you to make pods, holes, dig holes so that when the water comes, it doesn't get lost. Make this valley full of ditches. Make this valley full of ways so that when the water comes, you don't lose the water. I'm saying to you, church, that this is the season to prepare for the water that's coming. You don't want to wait till it gets here. You want to say, okay, God, tell us what we need to do. And that's going to lead us into the next message. But the point is this. As, as you are in this house and you're getting a sense of God's presence when he's saying this place isn't big enough for what God wants to do. And, uh, and I believe that. But you know what? It'll do for right now. But we still believe in, there's an enlargement. I don't know if God wants to enlarge and give you all of this stuff here or if he's got something else for you, but this is a great place. But how do you prepare for a coming harvest? How do you prepare when God says, oh, revival's coming. Oh, that's great. Oh, what happens when it comes? Well, we just look at it and just say, ain't that nice? But God wants to mobilize a worshiping community that has no problem taking the land and getting on to where God has for you. So get ready, get, who says that? I think somebody originated that. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. No, but somebody said it before him. Uh, I think it was Jesus. Uh, Jesus only said it once. Bishop Jake said to say it several times because, well, he's a good friend. All right, are you there? All right, message number three. Who's counting? 
All right. I have a parable. Uh, I've been studying Jewish humor, and, uh, and some of it's really funny. And I love Jewish humor, so here's one of these stories from Jewish humor. Rick V, the matchmaker, comes to see Laser, the ugly butcher. What can I get for you today, Rick? Maybe a nice brisket. No laser. Today I'm here for you. For me? Don't tell me after all these years you have a match for me. She said, I do. I can only imagine what she looks like. And she says, take a look at her picture. Oh, my goodness. She's beautiful. Rigby says, not only is she beautiful, she's rich. And you're going on a date with her Saturday night. Let me get this straight. You're telling me that even with my ugly face, I'm going out with this beautiful woman this Saturday night, and she's rich? Yes. Wow. She must be crazy. Well, you can't have everything. <laughs> you remember that great verse in Mark 10 when Jesus watches the young man, the wealthy young man, go away, and he says, it's going to be more difficult for a rich man to get into the kingdom than for a camel to go to an eye of a needle. And then he then says to them, because they react, yeah, but, but we've, we've left everything to follow. He said, there is no one who has left everything to follow me. But in these days, he will receive houses, land, farms, wives, well, one wife, children, uh, and, and, et cetera. And 100-fold, and in this life, 100-fold, with persecution. I want the blessing of God, but somebody doesn't want me to have it. And so the blessing that God wants me to have and he wants me to contend for, he also wants me to know that with those blessings comes opposition. And I looked at that passage and Paul, I mean, in, in the early days of my walk, I looked at that and I said, God, is it possible to have the blessing, the 100-fold without the persecution? He said, you can have the persecution without the 100-fold. But you can't have the 100-fold without the persecution because it's what keeps you balanced. It's like you've got two suitcases. One weighs two pounds and the other weighs 70. And so you're always walking like this. It'll balance you. Say prosperity balances you. So now you've got to think, do I really want it? Go with me, please, to Mark chapter 4. And I'm going to start at verse 35. So what scriptures do you have? Uh, okay, very good. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. Say that, please. Let us go across. Now, when Jesus says, let us go across to the other side, what's his intention? What's his intention? To go to the other side, right? So he said, let us go to the other side. So his intention is announced and then the Bible says, and leaving the crowd, they, the disciples, took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Read this next line. And other boats were with him. Say that, please. 
and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And I think Jesus takes umbrage at being asked the question, Don't you care? Don't you care? You know, Martha said that to him, and he helped her out too. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace be still. And when the, cease, when the wind ceased and there was a great calm, he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Notice he rebukes the wind and the sea and then he rebukes them. Let's get ready for a message. Last year, uh, we were at a prophetic conference and uh, one of the questions was raised with one of the senior daddy prophets, great man of God, loves Lord. And um, they said, what do you see for the coming year 2022? And his response seemed like, let me just give you a non-answer. Believe for the best, expect the worst. Believe for the best, expect the worst. Say that, please. Believe for the best, expect the worst. That was in the fall of 2022. Uh, when they shared that, my initial reaction was, was negative. Believe for the best, expect the worst. I said, where's the faith element in that? And at the same time, I became aware of how, how God's people have unconsciously adopted the world's mantras. There are statements that are out there that we hear daily, sometimes three or four times a day. If you watch television, you'll hear it a whole lot more than three times a day. So what I'd like you to do right now is I want you to listen to the words that we all have been hearing for the past two years. Can you play that for me? Even if we can't stand closer than six feet. We can all stay connected to work, school, 
most importantly, to each other. There's still ways to touch each other. All without leaving the comfort and safety of your home. Without leaving the safety of your home. Your home. Your home. Your home. Your home. 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 That's the key. You can change C or hear now. Comment says you can help. Here to help. Our teams are here. We are here. We're here. We're here. We're here here for you. We're here for you. We're here for you. We're here for you. We're here for you. We are here for you. We'll be here for you. Ronnie's is here for you. We're still here for you. We're with you. We're part of your community. So you can trust us. You can count on us. And we'll get through this. Do you think there's a conspiracy? <laughs> Possibly. Together in these unprecedented times in these uncertain times the word unprecedented means it never happened before but if you go to google that wonderful authority uh, that <laughs> tells you everything google will tell you there have been a number of times when we've had famines and we've had epidemics and plagues Millions of people have died. And so when we say unprecedented, we're saying never happened before. The problem is things that have happened before, if there's such a great distance between them and us, we don't think about it anymore. They're there. So let me just uh, raise a couple of questions. How, How does this happen? How does this kind of stuff happen? I mean, when you hear people say safe at home, 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 stay at home, 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 home. No wonder the church is empty. Because we, we got thousands of messages coming at us day after day. Stay home, stay home, safe. And then, of course, there's that common word that people now use. They don't say goodbye, have a great day, stay safe. Why wouldn't I? So how does this happen? Let me just share with you. Listen to this passage from Romans 12 too. You'll recognize it from a different translation, but this translation says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. When you listen to this, these statements, bombarding your ear again and again and again, the world is trying to do what? Squeeze you into its mold. Getting us all to think the same way, feel the same way about what's taking place. And so we're singing these great songs. And what's your song list? What was the song list? Firm foundation. And there's so there, there's there's this phrase in one of the songs, he's never failed me. Never failed me. But what about now? I mean, does now work? Does this does now fall into this never thing? 
Or should we be saying, in these unprecedented times? <laughs> Sister Dusenberg would stand up in testimony meeting and she would say, pray for me, saints, because I'm going through something nobody has ever been through. And, of course, that's contrary to Paul says in Corinthians. There is no temptation that's come upon you, but such as is common to man. And God will provide a way for you to escape so that you may bear it. (laughs) The escape and the bear have to come together. He will provide a way for you to escape. Say that. He'll provide a way... So you can bear it. In other words, what's coming at you isn't new. And it's not uncertain because we've been singing again and again about the goodness of God. Your goodness is coming after, coming after me. And you're waking up to the goodness of God. You go to sleep to the goodness of God. And you remember phrases from Lamentations where he says, yet. His mercies are new every morning so that you can't say it's unprecedented unless you're talking about mercies. New mercies. Somebody say new mercies. And then here's what the psalmist says. He will daily load you with benefits. Not not monthly, weekly, but Every day, every day you wake up to new mercies. So what's taking place in us is that we're not paying attention to how and what we're listening to. Look at Luke 8, 18. Take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Take care how you hear. So when a a loan company tells me we've always been there for you, (laughs) you've got to ask, what loan company are you with? Because it can't be household finance. Not the one who is charging me 27%. When I was stupid enough to pay it. Take care how you hear. Help. We've been there for you. Stay close. Stay away. Stay apart. The the weirdest thing, and I think I told you this some time ago, that in, in 1919, we were told to stay away from negative people. And then in 2020, we were told to stay away from positive people. And it's, it's like, all right. If everything has changed, it's changed significantly. And we're reworking our vocabulary. And the God who promised me that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, did not step back and watch everything go to dust. He's doing something. I believe that just like the prophet said, God is up to amazing times. And it's a setup for your breakthrough. How does it happen? Number one, you're not paying attention to what you're listening to. You're not paying attention. I sat in a, uh, a sauna one day and I was listening to just the music, the background music. But the background music was hard rock. It was like acid rock. When I came out of that place, I got in my car and I was attitudinal. I mean, I, I, I wanted to fight somebody. I just, and, I, and I said, man, what's wrong with me? And then I realized I had been listening 
that music had been bombarded. It's, it's in your subconscious, it's in the background. And if you think it's not affecting you, your morals are being changed by the kind of music you listen to. Let me just say this. I'll just, this is an aside. It won't cost you anything. You have a guardian over your brain, your mind. And that guardian will not allow something that's contrary to reality to enter unless you can deflect the guardian with music. If you want to get a message to my left brain that's contrary to, to the message that's already there, put it in a song and send it over. And it bypasses the guardian because the guardian is hip-hopping along with it. Yes, yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm going to have me three wives and a couple of husbands and I'm going to have some junk. Blah, blah. And, and it's, it's great rhythm, great music, and you're buying into it. And then you go home and you shoot your wife. Because you've been programmed. Be careful. What are you listening to? What kind of music are you listening to? Well, I like I like hip hop music. Well, well but, but that guy's a cro yeah, but he wears a cross in his ear. <laughs> There's a verse that says something like this: How long will you be stupid? All right. You're not paying attention to how and what you're listening to. Secondly, you're not recognizing the dangers of the religious and political spirit. The religious and political spirit. You mentioned Herod. Herod. Herod is the political side. Pharisees, the religious side. Those were the two opposing entities that Jesus dealt with, them and the Sadducees. And he said, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In the Greek, this is not just an imperative, but it's a present tense imperative. He's saying, be continuously watching out and aware or beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The doctrine of the Pharisees can be any church that doesn't preach the gospel. And there are a lot more of them than there used to be. A church in, in uh, Oklahoma City pastor said the, one of the board members came to him and he said he said you're a pastor can you help me with something he said well what, what is it he says our church is divided right now and he said is it divided over the critical race theory he said no no it's not that at all he said what is it divided he says well half of our church believes in the resurrection and half of it doesn't how can you be a church and not believe in the resurrection? But we have bought into so many things. And of course, what's taken place is that the voices in the cemeteries, I mean seminaries, are, are now the voices that are training the preachers who will come back and say, well, we don't need this and we don't need that. And even some of our great evangelical churches are telling us we don't need to speak in tongues anymore, that's not necessary. And prophecy is not necessary. And all of that, we are battling. He says, beware of that. Beware of that. Beware of the voices that are projecting the sound of the ruling entities in the world who are now offering their background for them by way of NBC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, Fox, all of those, all of those. 
They are saying things, and we hear them all the time. Go to MSNBC, go to CBS, go to uh, all of these stations, and you'll hear all of them saying the same thing about the same problem. And you're looking at it and just saying, but that's not what I heard. That's not what I heard. But more people are buying into it because they'll say something stupid like, but I saw it in the newspaper. And it used to be you saw it in a newspaper that was at the at, at the grocery store, you know, when you go out and there's that, that newspaper. Now it's on all of them. What's the third thing besides recognizing the dangers of the religious and political spirit? You are not exercising constant care for what you're constantly saying. Go with me to Matthew 6.31. Matthew 6.31. I want you to read this very slowly with me. It's on the screen. Read it word by word. Therefore, do not be anxious. Saying, stop. Therefore, do not be anxious. Saying. Do not be anxious. Saying. Anxiety is produced more by what you say than what you hear. Don't raise questions about what the future is going to look like. Our, our problem is, is that this wonderful imagination that God has given us, uh, is, we are, it's, it's experiencing a terrible use by worry. 80%, 90%, we're told, of things that you are worried about aren't even going to take place. And the ones that are going to take place, you can't do anything about them anyway. He says, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? What shall we eat? What shall we, I'm not going to pick on you, Pastor Barbara, uh, about the wear part. All right. <clears throat> do, do not, do not. I got you covered. All right. I got you. You don't have to come. I got your back. She makes me pay when I use her for an illustration. So since I'm going to have to pay, I think I'm just using her a couple of times today. Let me, one, one, of the, one of the lexicons that I have, it describes this word anxious this way. To have an anxious concern based on apprehension about possible danger or misfortune. Notice possible danger or misfortune anxious concern based on apprehension about possible danger or misfortune do you recall a moment in fact let's let's go to uh, let me, this is a this is part three but there's a little sub note under part three that will push me into a message if i don't mess around with it all right so go to acts chapter 12 hurry up we got to get out of here all right Verse 1, now about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him where? 
in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers. That's 16 soldiers. Four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, and the church earnestly watched television to see what the outcome of that was going to be. <laughs> Doesn't say that, does it? It says, Peter's kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, you know the story. God miraculously delivered Peter from that prison. And then Herod was upset because he was delivered, and so he killed all the soldiers who were supposed to be guarding him. He killed them. And then he went down to another little city, and he's giving a speech, and the people said to him, it's the voice of God and not man. And the Bible says, and worms ate him up. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. Background. Somebody say background. Backstory. When these guys are praying for Peter to be released, I don't think they're praying, bless Herod. Uh, all right, um, maybe, I just, maybe I just missed the whole group here. Um, would you go to Psalm 3? This is, this is still part of the same message, but I'm just inserting some addendums here. Chapter 3, Psalm 3. When you're there, say, I'm there. there. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Drop down to verse 6. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Come on. Save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and break the... That's one that's called an imprecatory prayer. You don't pray it all the time. But there are times when this is as valid a prayer to play as your kingdom come, your will be done. Break their teeth, Lord. What if the church, I'm not just talking about this church, but what if the church, the same church, the the corporate people who recognize if we don't pray, he's going to do the same thing to Peter that he did to James. So it's not like we are helpless but we are refusing to do what we need to do because some, some goody two-shoes is saying, let's pray for his salvation. He's already beyond that. When, when people make a decision that I don't want what God has for me, God makes a decision, I don't want you. And you stop praying for God to redeem unredeemable people. And you begin to declare what the scriptures have already said. I'm not praying for Putin to come to Jesus. He's an atheist. He's a, he's a devil worshiper. He's already sold out. He's already given himself to the wickedness. He's made a covenant with hell and with death. So my prayer is, Lord, get him out of here as soon as you can. Any way you can. 
anytime you can. Pray for his salvation. Russia, Ukraine, they are filled with spirit-filled churches. You can't tell me that somebody like Putin hasn't heard the message. But like Ahab, he has sold himself to do evil. And God's answer for Ahab was judgment, not just on Ahab, but his whole family. All right, back to the message. I'm sorry for the interruption. So when the world says, we are all in this together, I go back to the text. There was a storm, and other boats were with them in the storm. There's a little meme that came up not too long ago, and it says, we are not all in the same boat. We are in the same storm. Some have yachts, some have canoes, some have one oar, and some are drowning. But when people say, you know, we're all in the same storm, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. and, I know, and I don't mean to be ugly, but in my heart of hearts, I'm saying, I'm not in the same, I'm, I'm in the same storm, but I'm, I'm in a different boat. Your boat is creaky, your boat is shaky, your boat is coming apart, but my boat is resting. My boat is Jesus. I'm, I'm somewhere where God has promised me that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so when the song says, though, though the storms keep on raging in my life, and somehow it's hard to tell the night from day, yet I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm thinking at the same time, God, you are in control. You're in charge. And though the storms don't cease, and though the winds keep blowing in my life, my soul is anchored. I'm anchored. And I'm looking at all of this stuff that's causing everybody else to be shaken and and afraid and concerned. And I'm looking at Jesus saying, hey, and here I've got Jesus in the boat with me. Jesus, who created the waters, who created the winds, who put it all together. And if Jesus can be asleep in the wind, he must feel like we're going to get to the other side. What, what did he say when he got in the boat? Let's go to the other side. That's my intention. Does he know there's a storm coming? Probably. Is it going to bother him? No, he's sleeping. When Jesus is sleeping, let him sleep. As long as he's sleeping in the same place where you are. And the storm is raging. And, and these, are, these are expert seamen. This is not their first rodeo. They're out there. And they've been out there before. But this is unusual. This is demonic. This is a satanic storm. And Jesus rebukes that. And the phrase for rebuke means he spoke suddenly and sternly and loudly. Shut up. Be still. And it, it didn't just ease off, it stopped right away. Now, can you imagine those other boats? They don't have Jesus with them. And they're looking at all of it and they're just, do you think we're going to make it? No, no, you're not going to make it. Oh, it just stopped. Maybe we will make it. See, there's got to come to us 
a sense of silence or solace where even as the psalmist says, even your, even our silence is praise to God. Go wake up Jesus. I'm not waking up Jesus. Man, you might drown. I don't know, but if I drown, he drowns with me. <laughs> Roberta Flack is a wonderful musician. Roberta Flack said, the situation you live in doesn't have to live in you. The situation you live in doesn't have to live in you. You remember that, that great story, the tale of two cities? Remember the opening line? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. In other words, it's possible for radical opposites to occur simultaneously. That when the prophet said, believe for the best, expect the worst. It just depends on where you are. It just depends on who you're serving. It just depends on what your, your confidence is in the God who's all around you. Believe for the best, expect the worst. There are all kinds of things that are going on right now. And many times the success you're having is like on you're, you're, you're a train and you're riding on two railroad tracks. And one of those tracks is saying blessing and success. The other track is saying opposition and all the other things are taking place. And you're saying, God, can't I just have this without that? He says, no, but you can have that without this. And so you take it. And you embrace it and you say, this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our sight. Rufus Mosley, a great Christian mystic, he had this expression. He says, everything in Christ is getting better and better. Everything outside of Christ is getting worse. Can you, can you just look around the world that you're in right now and ask yourself this question? Would this have happened 20 years ago? Would you have thought that what we're experiencing right now would have, take place? You wouldn't, you, I mean, unless you're prescient and you have this ability to see into the future. I saw it all coming. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> Everything outside of Christ is getting worse and worse. But at the end, at the end, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And this Pentecostal church didn't believe that many people were going to be saved. <laughs> and if you weren't Pentecostal, you had no chance. And if you weren't one that's Pentecostal, you had no chance. Maybe if you had a relative who was one. But, but some of you will have to get somebody else to explain that to you. But I remember one of the most godly women in our church. She's my brother's godmother. We called her Mother Matthews. She was saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name and had a mind to run on and see what the end was going to be. That's, that's who she was. And I heard her say one day, she said, in Noah's day, there were only eight people that were saved by water. In Noah's day, there were only eight that were saved by water. She said, I doubt if there'll be that many this time. <laughs> but that wasn't the punchline. The punchline was, oh Lord, Please let me be one of them. Now, there's, there's, there's not going to be eight, and she's not sure she's going to be one. And I said, if somebody as holy as she is, I know there's no chance for me. 
But then there is this thing in the book of Revelations where he says, I see a number that not even Google. We're not at the end of something. We're at the beginning of something. There's a breakthrough coming that we need to begin to celebrate before we see it. And that means there is a flood coming that's going to bring water like you've never seen it before. And you need to start digging ditches and getting ready, God. What are you doing? We're praying. We're worshiping. We are praying. We are are saying heaven. Send the rain. But don't send the rain before we have preparation to save the rain that you're going to send. Don't just come to church, but just say, God, what is my purpose? How can I be effective? What must we do to thrive in this season? And that's the last part of my message here. What do we need to do? Number one, we need to learn from the 4,000-year history of God's redemptive purpose. See, your history is longer than the United States. United States history is about 246 years. Abraham's history is 4,000 years. I'm plugged into Abraham's history. I'm plugged into the redemption history of the kingdom of God. That's where my history is. So when I look at that history, Paul then tells me in Romans 15, he says, those things that were written 4,000, thousands of years ago were written for our instruction so that through the patience and the encouragement of scriptures, I can have hope. So what do I do? Whenever I'm struggling, I go back into the history books, to the annals, and I say, God, what did you do or what did God's people do when they faced a situation similar to this? And one of the things I came across was this thing called Goshen. You remember the land of Goshen? It's a place that God provided for the children of Israel so that whenever they got uh, into Egypt, it was already prepared for them. And I I called it the Goshen factor. Let me just describe it this way. The Goshen factor is an active principle of God's divine protection and favor seen in his work with the people of God throughout the ages. Goshen factor. The Goshen factor, it can be steady, it can be steadfast, it can be movable, it can be a person, it can be a place, it can be a time, but it's a, it's a place where God says, I will take care of you. Yes. David is running from Saul, hides in a cave. In the same cave, Saul comes in. He could have taken Saul out. But David knows that God is caring for them. God is watching over him. David, uh, Joseph says to the children of Israel, Genesis 45 and 10. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall do what? Dwell. Everybody say dwell. Dwell. You shall say dwell. Dwell. Say say dwell again. See, that's interesting. That's cute. Dwell. You You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children, your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have, there I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Goshen was a place of divine placement. God had already prepared it for them. It was a place of God's divine presence. And it was a place of God's divine provision, and it was a place of God's divine promise. Here's, here's what I want you to see. In Goshen, 
there were several times when the same plagues that were affecting Egypt were affecting, affecting the children of God. But then there came a moment when those plagues that were affecting Egypt were no longer affecting the children of God because God had drawn a line between them. I love that one in, the, in the, the, one of the last plagues where the Bible says he was going to bring the plague of darkness. And he says, darkness so dark that it can be felt. And when it came, Pharaoh sent somebody and says, go check over there in Goshen and see if they got light. And they had light because God had made a division. I, I, I love I love the other one of the other plagues where the, the Egyptian magicians can reproduce all of the plagues up to a certain point. They can do blood, they can do frogs, and, uh, and but then then he said, uh, uh, "Sir, we, we we can't reproduce uh, uh, gnats. We we've tried that, but we we." we our magic won't reproduce gnats. And then here's what they said. We suggest that this must be the finger of God. And from that point on, Israel in Goshen never experienced another plague. There are some things in the world that are going to touch you. But there are some things in the world that are not going to touch you because of who you are. And what it is that God's called you to do. Goshen. I love Goshen. What should I do? What do we need to do? And here's what I want to suggest. Learn how to move in the opposite spirit to achieve success. Move in the opposite spirit. First of all, stop saying stop saying what are you going to eat what are you going to wear what are you going to put on what's going to happen tomorrow what about all of this it's, it's hard for us to embrace this but I, I'm just going to say it from the standpoint of somebody who's already decided to embrace it good people are going to die until Jesus returns Babies are going to die. People who've never done anything wrong are going to die. People who have done wrong are going to die, but not all. People that you would expect, God, don't you think that should, shouldn't you have taken him and not her? It's going to happen. The church has been battling for years, and you say, well, why is that necessary? Because of your daddy, Adam. Adam opened the door, and God told him, he said, son, don't open that door. Okay, don't open that door. Don't open that door. Don't open that door. Joey is our, is our oldest son. And Joey, when he was really small, he's walking around the kitchen and, uh, in the projects, and my, my mom had the stove open, and there was this oven door there. And, and Joey would get close to her, and she says, Joey, hot. And he's like, Hot. And then he walk away from me. She says, Joey, don't touch that. That's hot. Hot. And I watched her do this. And he said that he would repeat the word. And then I went to the bathroom and I heard Joey scream. And when I came into the kitchen, he's holding up his finger. You know what he said? He said, hot. Now he has an experience to go with the symbol. <laughs> See, up until that point, 
hot was just a word. It was just a symbol. But now he's got an experience. The church and the world needs to have an experience concerning the goodness of God so that once you get it, once you see it, but up until that time and, un and until Jesus comes, there will be famines, persecutions, all of those things are going to take place and you can't change it because Adam set it in motion. But Jesus came to walk it back, kind of like moonwalk. He says, I'm going to restore everything that Adam lost. But in the restoration process, there's some things that we're going to have to deal with. Say, stop saying. Say it again, stop saying. And then look at Genesis 26. Genesis 26, the Bible says, there was a famine in the land like it was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac was getting ready to go down into Egypt. And the Lord said to to Isaac, don't go down to Egypt, dwell in the land. There it is again, an interesting word. Dwell in the land. Say it, dwell in the land. In other words, stop wandering, stop straying. You cannot become grounded if you're always moving someplace. If, if, if you ever find a church that's perfect, don't join it. Because it won't be perfect after you get there. Stay in the land. Well, you know, the pastor said, and I don't have any friends over there. Stay in the land. Stay there. Your land might be different than the land that someone else has, but when you get to a place and you find God blessing you and God does stuff for you, and then every now and then, you know, it's, it's 100 fold with persecution. Some of your persecution is going to come from people in the church. Because they're all under construction. See, stop saying. Stop straying. Number three, start sowing. Start sowing. Isaac stayed in that land. There was famine going on in that land. And the people weren't doing anything in it. God says, Isaac, stay in the land. I said, okay. He says, what am I supposed to do? Do the same thing you do under normal circumstances. And he starts sowing seed. And the Bible says, in the same year of the famine, he sowed seed and he reaped a hundredfold. One hundredfold. If it had just stopped right there, but it then goes on to say, and the Lord blessed him. I would have thought the one hundredfold was the blessing. No. You sow. You sow. You're there where you are supposed to be, and you're sowing in the land. When you sow in the land, when you have favor, and another word for the Goshen factor is favor. But when God gives you favor and other people don't have it, they're not going to like you much. I just want people to like me. How about like you and no favor or not like you and favor? Well, what's your choice? Well, I guess I have to take the favor. Then people aren't going to like you. Jealous. They're going to attack you. They're going to say things about you. Don't worry about that. What church are you going to? We're going to dwell. What kind of name is that? Oh, it's just a name, dwell. Is it good? Nice. Yeah, there are nice people over there. Some white, some black, some short, some tall, some, some people looking, some people searching. Start sewing. Go to Proverbs eleven twenty four. This is my last scripture. 
in my notes. Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs eleven twenty four. Got it? Did I give you that one? Okay, you didn't get that one. Boy, you're in trouble, man. Just, I know. We all come short. All right. Proverbs eleven twenty four. You have that? Would you read it with me? It grows all the, come on, let me read it for you. Some of you don't do you have Bibles here? Okay. Okay. I'm reading from the ESV. You can read from any version you want but the Amplified because it's, it's too loud. All right. So let's, let's come on, let's read <laughs> Proverbs 11:24. Everybody join. Come on. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should and only suffers want. One gives freely and yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. One of my favorite stories, see I'm closing the Bible, that ought to give you hope. One, one of my favorite stories is the story of Rebecca, who waters all of the camels that the servant brings down, 10 camels. She waters them. She waters every single camel. One camel needs 20 gallons of water to replace what is lost. She waters all the camels. Say she waters all the camels. She probably is thinking in her mind, girl, what possessed you to tell that man you would water all his camels? Have you ever made a commitment to do something and then realize, <laughs> you tell him, why? But she watered all the camels. Say she watered all the camels. And then the following day, she's riding out of town on one of the camels she watered. Knowing, now knowing, that not just the camel I'm riding on, but all of these camels are mine. He who waters will be watered also. He who withholds, it tends to poverty. This is not the time to say, well, you know, I got to think of my children. I got to think of my future. And I got to think, you know, and, and they're talking about inflation and stagflation and all this other stuff. What do you do when you are in a season like that? You give. You sow. You sow into the kingdom. The kingdom of God will return more than broke chain or chain broke or whatever that thing is it's just like it'll give you it'll give you a return like you can't believe because some of those things they go up today but they're down tomorrow but the kingdom the multiple aspect of the kingdom is the least amount is 10 30 30 60 100 fold say it 30 60 where are you going to get returns like that Stay in the land, dwell in the land, find your place, and begin to work. Begin to say to people, I'm here. What do you need me to do? If, if they say to you, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a certified public accountant, you say, that's great. How can I serve you? Well, would you mind counting the hymn books today? 
Uh, I said, I'm a certified public accountant. That's why we're asking you to count the hymn books. Is that too little for you? Are you too big for that? Because what's going to get us to the next level is whether or not we're serving. What, what will make these uncertain times more certain? The presence of God. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And everything that can be shaken will be shaken. I close with this last phrase. Your seed will break your siege. Your seed will break your siege. And your seed is not necessarily money. Not just money. It can be your life. It can be your service. Yes. Had this friend. He said he went to... Uh, he went to England and he took all of his friends out to eat in this restaurant. They all went out. And he said, uh, when the waiter brought the check, he said, all of my friends became astronomers. <laughs> when we say we need help, you know what? We need help. And so in the day of power, the Bible says they will volunteer freely. Would you stand with me, please? This is the time that we're going to salt this property. Whatever is here, we're salting covenant. We're salting covenant promises. We're saying, God, this is who we are. This is what you've called us to be. Lift your hands, would you? Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.